Welcome to episode 241 of the Intermittent Fasting Podcast. If you want to burn fat, gain energy, and enhance your health by changing when you eat, not what you eat, with no calorie counting, then this show is for you. I'm Melanie Avalon, author of What, When, Wine, Lose Weight and Feel Great with Paleo-Style Meals, Intermittent Fasting, and Wine. And I'm here with my co-host, Jen Stevens, author of Fast, Feast, Repeat, a comprehensive guide to delay, don't deny, intermittent fasting. For more on us, check out ifpodcast.com, melanieavalon.com, and jenstevens.com. Please remember, the thoughts and opinions on this podcast do not constitute medical advice or treatment. So, pour yourself a cup of black coffee, a mug of tea, or even a glass of wine, if it's that time, and get ready for the Intermittent Fasting Podcast. Hi friends, I'm about to tell you how to get three pounds of organic chicken thighs, two pounds of grass-fed, grass-finished ground beef, or one pound of premium grass-fed, grass-finished steak tips, all for free, plus $20 off. That's right, we're talking pounds of meat for free, plus $20 off. Friends, I love meat and seafood. My favorite way to get it is ButcherBox. It has been for years, and it's one of those things where I just sort of become more and more obsessed the more I use it. Especially with all the greenwashing that's going on today with meat and seafood, there's a lack of transparency, it can be hard to know what you're actually getting, and it can be expensive. ButcherBox addresses all of that. By directly partnering with farmers and fishermen, ButcherBox cuts out the middleman of the grocery store and directly delivers delicious meat and seafood straight to your door. And they have the highest standards. Their salmon, for example, is wild-caught. Their beef is 100% grass-fed and 100% grass-finished. Their chicken is free-range and organic, and it all tastes delicious. I love their chicken, love their meat, love their seafood. They have amazing scallops as well. And you can really find the collection of food that you want that works for you and your family. They have curated boxes, so you can get exactly what you want as fresh as possible because yes, meat and seafood that is immediately frozen is fresher than meat that is waiting out and never frozen. That's because it's frozen at its peak of freshness. It's funny because people kind of think it would be the opposite. Like, oh, I need never frozen meat and seafood. No, 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 no. You want frozen. You want meat and seafood that was immediately frozen and then shipped to you, which is what ButcherBox does. I eat a lot of steak at restaurants. ButcherBox's fillets are divine, way better than anything I would get at a restaurant. Their other cuts are amazing as well. With their seafood, I know I can trust them that I'm actually getting what they say because yes, there is a lot of scams in the seafood industry and their chicken also tastes amazing. It's free range and organic and tastes delicious. With ButcherBox, you don't have to worry about what's for dinner and ButcherBox has an incredible offer for our audience. You can have your choice of a weeknight meal essential for free in every order for a whole year. Just go to butcherbox.com slash ifpodcast and use ifpodcast to choose either three pounds of organic chicken thighs, two pounds of grass-fed, grass-finished ground beef, or one pound of grass-fed, grass-finished premium steak tips plus $20 off. Sign up today at butcherbox.com slash ifpodcast and use code ifpodcast to choose your free offer and get that $20 off. Butcherbox.com slash ifpodcast with code ifpodcast. And we'll put all this information in the show notes.
One more thing before we jump in. Did you know that common ingredients found in skincare and makeup products can actually disrupt your endocrine system? These endocrine disruptors are a silent threat that can have significant impact on your health, including something that is very important to me, fertility. Your skin is your body's largest organ and what you put on it matters. Endocrine disruptors are chemicals that interfere with the natural hormonal communication in the body. It also matters during pregnancy. And that's one of the reasons I pay close attention to what I put on my skin while being pregnant. Studies have shown that exposure to endocrine disruptors can affect both male and female fertility. For women, these disruptors can lead to irregular menstrual cycles, ovulation issues, and even polycystic ovarian syndrome or PCOS. In men, they can reduce sperm quality and quantity, making it even more challenging to conceive. But it's not just about fertility. When it comes to fat loss, one of the reasons that endocrine disruptors can get in the way of fat loss is because a lot of our toxins are actually stored in our fat. It's a way that our bodies protect us from those toxins. These toxic compounds can even work synergistically, amplifying their harmful effects and making it that much harder to shed unwanted body fat. All of these reasons are why I am obsessed with a company called Beauty Counter. The founder actually started the company when she learned about the potential dangers of toxic chemicals and their link to health issues, specifically miscarriages and infertility. While pregnant, I make sure to only use Beauty Counter products. It's one of the only makeup lines that is officially recommended from the Environmental Working Group. What really sets Beauty Counter apart is their unwavering commitment to protecting us, the consumer consumers from the hidden dangers that lurk in conventional beauty products. Beauty Counter goes above and beyond, rigorously screening every single ingredient that goes into their products, ensuring that they are safe, clean, and free from harmful toxins. They're not just a beauty brand, they're a movement for change, advocating for stronger regulations in the beauty industry. With Beauty Counter, I know that I can trust that the skincare and makeup that I use are not only effective, but also safe for me and my family. They have skincare lines for every skin type, as well as so many other incredible products. I absolutely love their overnight resurfacing peel. It's my favorite way to get anti-aging benefits in a skincare product. The makeup is absolutely amazing. I have tried alternative beauty products in the past and none of them truly performed. But with Beauty Counter, the foundation is so amazing. It makes me feel like my skin can breathe and it looks so dewy and beautiful. You can shop with me at beautycounter.com slash Vanessa Spina. New customers can use the code CLEANFORALL20 for 20% off their first order. Beautycounter.com slash Vanessa Spina. All right, friends, now back to the show. Hi, everybody, and welcome. This is episode number 241 of the Intermittent Fasting Podcast. I'm Melanie Avalon, and I'm here, Jen Stevens. Hi, everybody. How are you today, Jen? Well, I am okay, but so, so disappointed. As you know. Me too. Yeah. So the last time we recorded, we were going to be getting together in Atlanta. Well, we've never met face to face still, but I had to not go to Atlanta because I got a little fever and I was like, well, team, should I still come to Atlanta if I have a fever? They're like, we can just record from your house. So I'm recording from home (laughs) instead of going to Atlanta. And so we did not meet. I know. I'm so sad. Listeners, I like found the place we were going to go. Yeah. And I looked at the menu. It was going to be great. 
I mean, I will go to Atlanta again. I know I will. Yes. I wanted to say, I wanted to tell you, Jen, Jen sent me very beautiful flowers, but it's funny. I sent her a picture and she was like, they're supposed to look like this. And then she, <laughs> she sent another picture where they looked more full in the picture. They have since opened up. So now they look like the picture that you sent. Or are they already arranged or was, did you have to arrange them? I did. See, it was supposed to be an arrangement. See, that, it did not work out. It was supposed to come already arranged from a florist. Well, really? Did it say that in the notes? I mean, that's what I ordered. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> well, they were beautiful. Thank you. Lots of pink. Well, I'm sorry you had to self-arrange your flowers. That's new. <laughs> the florist, you know, when you when you do one of those, it like goes to just a local florist. And then I guess they, they decide what to do. But somebody else sent flowers from the same company in the same order in the same box and they weren't arranged either. Do you think those were supposed to be arranged? Well, that's weird. I don't know. But I've used this company for a long time and they've always gone to people arranged before. So, well, they were beautiful. Thank you. But you know, with with the whole pandemic, who knows, maybe business models have changed. So I'm glad they were pretty. Happy, happy birthday. Sorry that we didn't get to celebrate in person, but you know, thank goodness for modern technology where I can just record from home. Which is probably working out better anyway, because, you know, I didn't want to be in a hotel for all those days and in a recording studio, so. I think this happened last time. Remember last time we were going to come? Well, last time I couldn't come because the world shut down. I wasn't sick, but all the recording studios shut down because it was March of 2020. Right. And they're like, sorry, no one can travel anywhere in the entire world ever because of COVID. And it was just because they just shut down everything. Like, I tried to find a place here locally at a local radio station. They're like, nope, we're not letting anyone in because of COVID. So I just recorded from home. But, you know, we we have it all worked out because I did it once before. If, you know, if it ever happens again, I'll just plan to record from home because it really is nice just to be at home. Yeah. Nice. Like, I can do it. I can record professionally from home. So, and it's really fun. I have a director and there's like an engineer and we're all on there together. And the two ladies that are doing it with me are just delightful. We actually have a great time. And as we're going through the book, they're like, okay, now tell me, tell me more about that. <laughs> Lots of fun. How much more do you have to record? Oh my God, I'm never going to be finished. It feels like it's going to be forever. <sighs> well, I've done a lot of audiobooks on my own, but for my real book, for my book, <laughs> I just recorded the intro and, you know, that took long enough. I mean, it takes hours. I mean, I cannot even, it's just, it's really intense. Yeah, it really is. Like, I really don't enjoy it. I mean, I'm making the most of it. I'm enjoying the company. I'm enjoying the process as much as I can, but I can't wait for it to be over. And like all the words, I'm like, who wrote this book? <laughs> who put all this garbage in there? They're like, oh, yeah, me. It was me. I wrote it. Like, Why did I write it like that? I should have not used that word. <laughs> well, I'm sure it will turn out fabulously. Well, I hope so. So how was your birthday? It was so good. I had a wonderful dinner at my favorite restaurant in Atlanta, where I had only actually been to the bar. I hadn't eaten there before. So I went with the family, and it was just really, really amazing. And then, oh, can I tell what happened on my birthday? The first thing that happened on my birthday? Sure. It is so exciting. And it's only going to be exciting for a segment of our audience. But okay, Taylor Swift, as you know, 
<laughs> for all of her albums, she releases a signed version on her store and they sell out in minutes, like minutes. Like you cannot get the signed version. It just so happens that when I woke up on my birthday, I do this thing where I wake up and you're not supposed to do this listeners, but the first thing I do when I wake up is I check my email because I wake up very groggy and I find that if I check my email, then I'm like, whoo, I'm awake. So I find it to be very helpful. So I checked my email. The first email I saw was from the Taylor Swift store announcing the signed CDs. I was like, oh my goodness, I'm sure these are all gone. There's no way. I clicked on it. They were there. Like the email had just come in and I had just woken up and I checked it. So I got three of them. And then five minutes later, they were gone. But it was like, happy birthday. Perfect birthday. First thing I do is check my email too. Who said you're not supposed to do that? They say it like starts your day off. Who is they? They say, <laughs> I don't know, that it like starts you off in a state of cortisol rather than, you know, gratitude. And, but I think it just wakes me up. I mean, I've already been like resting and I feel good. And so then I just look at them. It doesn't stress me out. And I like checking my email. I think it would stress me out more not to check it. I'd be like, what am I missing? What am I missing? Then I'd be all stressed out. Instead, it gives me a feeling of accomplishment like, I just did all that. And then I get up out of bed. So actually, they are not the boss of me or you. Yeah, it gives me a sense because I can't address all the emails, but I can like see what all is there. So I can like have a sense of like, okay, this is the task for the day. Yep, exactly. Yeah, like it's the day started. And I also, I flag things that I can't handle right at that moment. So then I have like flagged emails and then I go back to them later. But it just, it like puts that aside and then... I can start my day. It might also matter. So like I love in general my emails. Like it's all things I want to be talking about. It's like talking to guests. It's with brands. It's like, it's very fun. It's not like a drag for me. So it's not like it's, I very much look forward to emailing people. So can I make one quick announcement? Sure. So by the time this airs, for sure. So I think... The pre-order special will have gone live last week, I think, for my serapeptase. So that's very exciting. So if it's still available, you can get it now, probably, or pre-order it now. And I'm pretty sure, because I was talking with my partner, I'm pretty sure it's going to be shipping pretty soon after the pre-order. So we we thought it was going to be maybe like January, but... The turnaround is has been pretty fast. And I think today, like that we're recording, not that this is released, I I think I'm gonna get my bottle of it because I was gonna ask if you had had any yet. Scott at the company, he got his yesterday and he was sending me pictures and he tried it for himself. And oh, this is really exciting. So it has an enteric coating because so serapeptase, if you don't have a protective coating on the capsule to keep it from breaking down in the stomach. It'll break down before it reaches the small intestine where it needs to reach in order to get into the bloodstream. So he did some tests where he was putting our serapeptase in vinegar and then putting other competing brands in vinegar to see if they broke down or not. And all the other brands broke down within like half an hour and ours was still good at the two hour mark. So, which means it's definitely surviving the stomach. And then it'll open in the small intestine. They've tested it for the potency and the effectiveness because apparently enzymes like die pretty easily. Like they'll become inactive. 
but this one is all good and it's tested for mold and heavy metals and it has an MCT filler, no additives. Oh, I'm so excited. Very exciting. So friends, you can get it. Long, long, long story short, it's an enzyme created by the Japanese silkworm. Now it's created in a lab. That's why it's vegan. People were asking me, how can it be vegan if it's created by silkworm? It is grown in a lab. That is how. And you take it in the fasted state. It breaks down protein buildups in your body, problematic protein buildups. So if you have allergies or inflammation, it can help that. It can break down fibroids. It can potentially reduce cholesterol, amyloid plaque, which is involved in Alzheimer's. It's sort of like a wonder supplement. So you can probably order it now. The information for it is at melanieavalon.com slash serapeptase. And the actual website to order is avalonx.com. And I'll put all of that in the show notes. So fun. I know. Hi, friends. So I'm sort of haunted by clothes. If you follow me on Instagram, you probably know that I love wearing all the new clothes all the time. And I know that that is not really sustainable and not good for the planet. That's why I am thrilled that there is now a way to get all of the clothes with none of the waste. And I'm going to tell you how you can get unlimited clothes with no waste for a month for free. That's right, I now have a website for both myself and you guys where you can get free unlimited clothes with free shipping, free exchanges, nonstop from all of the hottest brands, and it is so incredibly easy. It's called MelanieAvalon'sCloset.com. We have so many incredible brands, including my favorites like BCBG, Calvin Klein, and so many more. Think like a hundred brands. There are so many options. And the way it works is when you get a subscription, you search through the clothes, pick what you want. They send it to you with fast, easy shipping. You wear it as long as you want. And then when you're ready for more clothes, you just drop it off in their prepackaged envelope and get your next round. It is so incredibly cool. They have multiple plans. The starter plan gives you two pieces at a time. Friends, I actually have a little secret hacked. Don't tell them that I told you this. When you get your two pieces, you can actually immediately go into your account, click return, and they'll go ahead and send you the next two pieces. So technically you can have four pieces at a time. You also have a cool virtual closet that you can keep stocked with everything you eventually want to order. So you never miss out. And if you really like something and want to keep it, you can opt to buy it at a massively discounted price. Friends, I'm obsessed. This is finally the answer to wearing all the clothes all the time with none of the waste. Oh, and of course, one of my major reservations was the cleaning compounds that they use on the clothes because yes, it is dry cleaning, which normally makes me nervous and they don't say this on the website. So I reached out to them and I was like, hey, what's going on with the cleaning? What do you guys use? Because I can't promote this if it's just normal dry cleaning. And thankfully, they let me know that they do not use any detergents, fabric softeners, or chemicals that are harsh. Everything is professionally dry cleaned or laundered with detergents that are free from dyes and scents. It's all gentle and it uses low temperature cycles. So yes, we are good on that front as well. It is the coolest thing ever. And you can try it free for a month. Yes, completely free. Just go to MelanieAvalon'sCloset.com to sign up. Free clothes for a month. After that, their plans are super affordable. We're talking honestly, an entire month is less than the cost of typically what would be the cost of one dress. And I am not kidding. That's right. Unlimited clothes for less than the cost of one outfit. 
I'm just so thrilled to bring this resource to you guys. I can't wait to hear what you guys think. So again, get free unlimited clothes for a month at MelanieAvalon'sCloset.com. That's MelanieAvalon'sCloset.com for all of the clothes, none of the waste. And definitely share your pictures and tag me on Instagram because I want to see all the fabulous things that you guys are wearing. That's MelanieAvalon'sCloset.com. All right. So shall we jump into everything for today? Yes. And we have a question from Lynn and the subject is best window for health benefits. And Lynn says, I am new to IF and while I could stand to lose a few pounds, I'm in good shape overall. No health issues to speak of, all blood work in normal range, and I work out with weights and cardio regularly. My goal, which leads to my question, is to gain optimal health from IF, not necessarily to lose weight. So my question is, what is or are the best fasting windows for optimal health gains, whether that be gains in gut health, autophagy, insulin, etc.? What could I expect as a 53-year-old woman to gain from a 24-hour fast, 36-hour fast, 48-hour fast, etc.? Is there a sweet spot of fasting that might be best for health gains? Thank you for taking the time to answer my question. I love your podcasts. I listen to them all. No offense, Jen, but Melanie, I really enjoy your biohacking podcast. No offense taken, Lynn. <laughs> I'm glad you love it. And for this podcast, I really enjoy it when you go on your tangents. I always learn something new. Wishing you both health and happiness, Lynn. All right, Lynn. Thank you for your question. I'm glad she likes the tangents. So this is a really great question. And I feel like sort of like with diet where I don't think there's one right diet for everybody and it's very individual and you have to find what works for you. I think the same goes for fasting. So also for diet, (laughs) I think the idea with diet is for health, for long-term health. I think it's more about what you do for life the thing that you can maintain and do that is healthy compared to like a crash diet or a crash healthy phase and then, you know, reverting back to a standard diet. So sort of with fasting, I think as a foundation, finding the daily fasting window that works for you in that you get in, you know, quote, ample fasting. So, you know, probably a minimum of 16 hours fasting every day. And then the window, like, I think if you can fast longer than that every day. I think that's fine. But I think, you know, like if you're doing a 23 hour fast and that leads to an unhealthy relationship with food where you feel like you overeat or you feel like, you know, that it's not sustainable, then I would say fast less, but some people that might be great. So I think the first part to answer the question is just the daily fasting window that works well for you. Of course, there would be an approach. Some people do better with something like ADF where, they're not fasting every day. And so that might be the quote daily maintenance approach that you do. And that would be where you'd be alternating. But then beyond that, like longer fasts, so 36 hour fast, 48 hour fast, et cetera. I think those are concentrated endeavors that you might want to take occasionally to kind of do like some extra deep cleaning in a way. So you can kind of think of like fasting as like your daily cleaning of the apartment or house. And then a longer fast might be like that time where you sit down and do a really deep clean. That said, I think people could have fantastic epic health and never do a long fast. I don't think you have to do it to have, you know, 
incredible health benefits. But if it resonates with you and you want to do one, I also think that's fine. I don't want to be like confusing to listeners, but I also don't have a problem with something like a fasting mimicking diet, which is Walter Longo's work. He has like his version that you can buy or people do their own self-constructed versions. Like you can Google like DIY FMD. I'm not a doctor. (laughs) I'm not endorsing that, but I'm saying that is something you might want to do as well. And that would be basically getting, according to his research, the effects of a long fast, so like a five-day fast, without completely water fasting for five days. It just sounds so much harder to me having to eat that little bit of food. Like I can't imagine it being easier than just fasting. So what's interesting is for me, like a 48-hour fast, I think would be much easier for me, complete water fasting. Five days, I don't I don't know if I could fast five days, mostly with the sleep issue. I think if I did, and I haven't done FMD, but I wonder if I did it where I had all of the stuff like just at night, if I could do like the five days. Yeah, it just sounds like a really miserable low-calorie diet. It doesn't sound like fasting at all. The benefits that you're getting, it's extremely low protein. So you're really tapping into that that autophagy. So there's a lot of research on how it affects the immune system. So breaking down immune compounds, and I think most of his research is in rodents, but basically breaking down immune compounds. And as he says, it can quote, reset the immune system. And it might be like a level of autophagy that you wouldn't achieve otherwise. So you're saying that by eating those small amounts of food, you're having more autophagy than if you just completely fasted? That doesn't make any sense. No, no, not more than if you just completely fasted. Right. See, that that's my whole point. That's why I'm that's what I don't get. <laughs> I understand his research showing that there are benefits for, to his fasting mimicking diet, mimicking fasting, but I cannot wrap my head around it being easier than actual fasting or even better than actual fasting. That's the part I cannot make make sense. Yeah, so I think as far as easier, I th- Like, I think it would be individual. I think some people would find it easier and some people wouldn't. As far as like equivalent or better, I think it's possible depending on the individual, it might be equivalent. I think it's possible depending on an individual. For some, it might be better. For some, it might be worse. It's hard to know. So yeah, it's a lot of unknowns. It's Basically, it's something that people could try if they want. And I do want to also say that Personally, I always recommend if you're going to fast more than 72 hours, you should be under medical supervision just because, you know, you don't want to DIY it and, you know, get in over your head. Yeah. No, that's a great, great point. I'll put a link in the show notes. I have interviewed recently, actually, Dr. Walter Longo on the show that Lynn mentioned on the biohacking podcast. So I'll put a link to that. But um, I said a lot, Jen. I think Lynn has such an interesting question. We really haven't seen a lot of this recently, maybe because I left Facebook. I don't know. And people in the the community are less likely to, I'm not sure. All the time in Facebook, I remember people would try to post this one graphic that was like, here's what happens when you fast by the hour. And it was like, here's what happens at X and at Y and at 24 and at 36. And Unfortunately, our body just isn't like that. Like we don't really have like, here's what happens at 24 on the dot and here's what happens at 36. It's going to be really highly individual because it depends on your own metabolic flexibility. You know, it depends on what you ate. 
so many factors. So it's not like we can say, here is the amount of fasting that's right for you. You know, we very often, well, actually every time, (laughs) I think we emphasize that we can't really say that because it just depends so much on personal factors, like how big your appetite is, you know. So whether, you know, like you said at the beginning, Melanie, whether, you know, you fast for, you know, 23 hours or 16 hours, it really just is going to depend on you. So we can't like give you a, here is what a 53-year-old woman would gain from this particular fast or that particular fast. It's really all about being your own study of one and responding to how you feel over time and day to day. Some days you're going to find that you feel great fasting longer and other days you're hungrier. I think for optimal health gains, your best fasting windows are the ones that feel good day after day. And for me, that really looks like a flexible approach. You know, I started off back in the day, Dr. Herring's Fast Five, which was a five-hour daily eating window. And I was fairly rigid with that when I was first starting out. But over time, had become very intuitive and learned to listen to my body. And that's really, I think, where the optimal help comes in, in the listening to your body. And one day I'm really busy and have a short window. And the next day I'm like, man, I'm extra hungry. I need an eight-hour window today. And that is really, I think, where the best health comes in. Learning to listen to your body, being responsive, knowing when you need a longer window and fasting longer when it feels right. You know, I was just sick last week and I wasn't as hungry when I wasn't feeling great. So I didn't eat very much. And then when I got my appetite back, I ate more food. So it's just a matter of, again, really being responsive to your body. Exactly. We are on the same page. Now we have a question from Ashley. The subject is Minnesota Starvation Experiment. And Ashley says, hello, Jen. So this was directed at Jen. She says, I absolutely love Fast Feast Repeat, and I wish I had read it 10 years ago. I'm curious regarding why the subjects in the Minnesota Starvation, quote, failed, so to speak, and that they became obsessed with food and could not maintain a healthy weight loss. Is it simply a matter of extended eating window? I'm not fully convinced that the reason is based on the fact that their foods had high glycemic index. There are many, many people in this world with diets that are similar in nutritional makeup, and yet they aren't all necessarily obsessive with food, nor do most of them have weight problems. I would greatly appreciate your insight. Yeah. Thank you for asking, Ashley. Yeah. At no point did a, anyone, me or, or any of the things that I've read, have any any comments about their failure being related to the high glycemic index. You can go ahead and put that out of your mind. I've never read an interpretation of their failure as having anything to do with the the glycemic index. I'm not even sure if the glycemic index had been created at that point, honestly. So the reason that they, you know, quote, failed had to do with their bodies perceived that they were starving. They were eating very low amounts of food. They were doing, you know, a typical low-calorie diet where they were, you know, eating a little bit here and there. They were like eating small amounts of calories over the day. And so they never really were tapping into their fat stores like you would during the fast. So they were not fasting. Obviously, they were eating, but they were eating a very low-calorie diet. And so their bodies slowed things down. Their metabolisms got slower. 
they started to have problems with their hunger hormones going out of whack. You know, I talk about, you may want to read that section again in Fast Feast Repeat. This is the teacher in me, because if you read it again, I think it's it's pretty clearly explained. So whatever chapter that's in, I guess it's in the introduction. But basically, it's the classic what we've all been through. And also the Biggest Loser study showed the same thing. When we do a really low-calorie diet, our bodies fight back. How is fasting different? Fasting is different because we are metabolically flexible once we adapt to the clean fast. We are fasting. Our insulin is low. We tap into our fat stores. We're actually well-fueled during the fast because we're tapped into our fat stores. So our bodies don't see that we need to slow down. I mean, all I know is anybody who's done a low-calorie traditional diet and struggled, struggled, struggled knows what I'm talking about. And when you fast clean, it is like night and day difference. I mean, I could never maintain a low-calorie diet long-term. I always failed and struggled. But I've been doing intermittent fasting with no problem since 2014. It's just a completely different way of fueling your body. So did that make sense, Melanie? Yeah, some thoughts I have about it. I'm super curious. I interviewed Gary Tobbs, and his newest book is called The Case for Keto. But he talks about how people on protein-sparing modified fasts, which are severely restricted diets, like much more so than the Minnesota starvation experiment, which was they ate, I was just looking at it, 1560, yeah, 1,560 calories per day. Like a PSMF, protein-sparing modified fast, sometimes that's like 500 calories per day. I remember he said what was interesting in one of the studies on it was that when people followed PSMF, they didn't experience hunger. So like if they had that diet, but then if they added to it just a little bit of carbs, then they would be like ravenously hungry, which is really fascinating. So basically like being in a certain state due to the dietary choices and the calorie restriction was likely putting them in a state of ketosis. So they weren't hungry because they were, you know, living off of their body fat stores. But then when you add in these carbs that kind of mess with the mechanisms, then all of a sudden they get hungry. Yeah. So they were eating like just enough to keep them out of ketosis. So they were like lethargic and draggy and yeah. Yeah. So a few things I wonder, like, because she was mentioning the high glycemic. So they were eating I mean, they're basically just eating carbs. They're eating potatoes, rutabagas, turnips, bread, and macaroni. I'm super curious if they've been eating keto, <laughs> like if they've been eating 15, 60 calories of keto, like would they have been starving? I would posit that maybe they wouldn't have been. Like it sounds like they were basically on, it. basically like if you wanted to create a diet, a calorie restricted diet to, I think, make somebody starving, you would want to give them calorie restricted, but like you just said, Jen, not so severely calorie restricted that they're inevitably going to enter ketosis because there's just such severe restriction. So it's it's enough to like keep them, you know, pretty much in the fed state and then all from carbs to boot. So they're basically just living from carb to carb. And so they like were lethargic and draggy and never felt good. Yeah. Like that's the setup. And then something this had not occurred to me, because I know you and I have discussed this before in the show, but this hadn't occurred to me before, Jen, until just now. I bet also, this was 1945. So the obesity epidemic was not what it is today. So I imagine these people coming into the experiment, even if they did the same experiment today with the same quote baseline state of people, 
I imagine these people probably had lower body fat to begin with. So, I mean, that could have played a role too. They started out leaner just because that's how people were back in the 40s. I really think they could set it up the same way and they would make it look like the same way because it would be not an underweight BMI. But I think people were just leaner then. So even like a not underweight BMI, it, it probably was just a different, basically a different cohort. Different variables. Yeah. The key is that they were not allowed to eat until they were satisfied, you know, because the at the end of what Ashley said, she's like, there are many, many people in the world with diets that are similar in nutritional makeup, and yet they aren't necessarily obsessive with food. The, the key is that people who follow a diet where they're allowed to eat until they're satisfied, you know, that that's a very different case than these, these men were artificially constricted from eating, like they were kept from eating the amount of food that their bodies wanted. And they were also, their physical activity was increased as well. So it was like the perfect storm of eat less, move more, while never allowing them to like, you know, if they'd actually fasted, <laughs> you know, what? how would it have been different? So, of course, we can't go back because that's not the test that they did. That's not the experiment, but. Yep. This is interesting. So actually yesterday, I was interviewed. This made me so, this is always so surreal to me, Jen. There's this guy named Bill Tanser. He's a, a New York Times bestselling author and he actually has a CGM company. And he'd reached out to me because he wanted to like work with me on some stuff. And he invited me onto his podcast. It was so fun because it's so like weird to me because he had read my book. He like actually read my book, like all of it and like was asking me specific questions about it. It's like very surreal to me still to like, oh, like a, New York Times bestselling author like reads my book and like wants to ask me questions about it specifically. Um, so it was really fun. But the reason I'm bringing it up was one of the things he asked me about from the book was I discussed in the book. So it was the 2015 personalized nutrition by prediction of glycemic responses. And this is something that I know Jen and I have discussed this study on the show before, but I reread it because he had mentioned that he wanted to talk about it. And I was like, oh, I better <laughs> reread it. And it's the one where they put people on CGMs and measured, it was 800 people and they measured their responses to a total of 46,898 meals. And they didn't just look at the CGM, the blood sugar response. They also looked at the gut microbiome. They looked at their blood markers, their activity levels, a lot of other factors. And this was the one where they found that, and I'm bringing it up because she was mentioning, we were talking about the glycemic index. Basically, it kind of dismantled the idea of the glycemic index because people had completely different responses to all different foods. And so while there was a trend, so like when you put all the foods on a chart and see in general which ones create a higher glycemic response, it does sort of match up with the glycemic index. There's still massive variability. So do you know how they came up with a glycemic index? They like tested like 10 people for the food and like averaged it. I mean, that is like, it's ridiculous. It is ridiculous. Yeah. The glycemic index is just it would be like if we gave everyone a height index and said, all right, you're 5'5", five five because that's the average height for a woman, 5'5", five five, so you're 5'5", five five. and you'd be like, but I'm not 5'5", five five, I'm 5'2". Five They're like, I'm sorry, but we averaged the height together, you are 5'5". Five five. That is how they did the glycemic index. 
everyone's 5'5". Five five. That's really funny. Yeah. And so they did find that within the individual, people react similarly. So like if you have a piece of bread on one day and then a piece of bread on another day, you're probably going to react the same. But another person might react completely differently to bread. And actually, I think there was some comment in the study about how every single food, I think, had almost the entire span of responses. So, I mean, that's... It really is astonishing. Like, for example, ice cream was one of the foods they talked about. And they said that some people reacted really poorly to ice cream. Some reacted really well. You're like, well, that sounds nuts. I am someone who reacts really well to ice cream. And I can eat ice cream and feel great. I can open my window with ice cream. Ice cream does not give me a weird whatever. Cake, different, totally different. But it, it's fascinating. You know, I can eat bread, no problem. But, you know, cookies, no. So it really is just different. And it likely involves, like they say in the study, it's so many factors, not just the food. Yep. Potatoes, they are great for my body. Like I can eat a potato and feel perfect. But not everybody can. So so that's just something to keep in mind. Hi, friends. I'm about to tell you how to get an exclusive discount on one of my favorite products for truly upgrading your health on a cellular level. So the new year is upon us, and it's often a time where people are really trying to instill new habits and really upgrade their health. There's something I have been using for years, not just at the new year, Literally every single day of my life, I am not making that up. Even when I travel, I have a way to address it then, which I will tell you about. And it's something that is so easy and feels amazing. That is red light and near infrared therapy. Okay, so friends, you could go somewhere and pay a lot of money to do red light near infrared therapy sessions, or you could just bring it to your home and use it every single day. That's what I do. I've been using Juve red and near infrared light therapy devices for so long. There are so many clinically proven benefits of red light therapy. That includes improving your skin. Yes, you really will notice it. Faster muscle recovery, reduced pain and inflammation, enhanced sleep, and so much more. I use it in the morning and evening as ambient light because it actually mimics the setting and rising sun. And then I sort of run it throughout the day as well to help combat all of the blue light that we're exposed to, which can have a negative effect on our health. Whenever I have muscle pain, I shine Juve on the muscle. For me, it has made the pain go away instantly. And then for chronic pain, when I do continued sessions, it's made it dissipate. One of my good friends who is a doctor uses these devices on his, shall we say, manhood for benefits there. Yes, it can help in that department as well. I honestly could not imagine my life without Juve. You will just feel so good using these devices. People also post all the time in our Facebook group of their pets gravitating towards the Juve because intuitively they just know that it's good for them. The reason Juve can address so many things related to health is because it actually affects our cells on the mitochondrial level. Basically, it makes those cells perform better. And when those cells are performing better, everything just works better. That's why, yes, Juve can help with your energy as well. I've been recommending Juve specifically for years because the quality of their devices 
are the best. Their modular design allows for a variety of setup options to give you flexibility. The treatments are so easy. You can do them in as little as 10 minutes or you can be using it all throughout the day like I do. All you have to do is relax and let your body take in the light. They also have their Juve Go, which you can travel with. Yes, that is how I really do use this every single day. That Go is also great for targeting specific areas of your body like hurting joints or sore muscles. Honestly, friends, health doesn't have to be hard. It doesn't have to be complicated. If you're looking to enhance your health and wellness this new year, start with what matters, which is your cells. And Juve has an amazing offer just for our audience. You can go to juve.com slash ifpodcast and use the coupon code ifpodcast to get a discount on your qualifying order. Again, that's j-o-o-v-v.com forward slash ifpodcast to get an exclusive discount on your order. Pick up a Juve today. Some exclusions apply. I really hope you guys can experience Juve. It really is one of my favorite things. And we'll put all this information in the show notes. All right, now back to the show. All right, we have a question from Rebecca. The subject is eating red meat regularly. Hi, Jen and Melanie. First, I just want to quickly say that I cannot thank you both enough for completely changing my life. I've been IFing for two years and it has improved my life in so many ways. Not only did I lose 67 pounds, but I've also seen major improvements in my mental health, my relationship with food, and my body, and the chronic pain I have from a previous injury. So I just want you to know that you ladies are truly helping people and making a difference in so many lives by putting this important information out in the world. You two are amazing, and I will be forever grateful. Oh, thank you, Rebecca. 67 pounds. That is amazing. All right. Okay. On to my question. As you know, there is a pretty widespread stigma against red meat. Most people or doctors think it is detrimental to your health and should not be eaten frequently. They say it will cause cancer, heart disease, type 2 diabetes, etc. So, of course, these scary thoughts are always in the back of my mind. I now exclusively get all my meat from ButcherBox. Thank you for the wreck, by the way, and so I know the meat I am consuming is high quality. Over the past year, my beef consumption has significantly increased to the point that it has become a staple in my diet. I eat mainly whole foods and try to focus on fruits, vegetables, and meats, but I don't restrict any particular food or food group. However, I find myself no longer gravitating towards chicken or fish, never really was a fan of pork which means that pretty much all of the meat I consume is now butcher box beef. I'm definitely eating at least a few servings of red meat five to six days of the week. Is this really bad for my health? Should I start to force myself to eat different types of protein, even though it's not really what I want or crave? I've tried Googling whether this is okay, and pretty much everything that comes up says no, but the articles are almost always referring to conventionally farmed or processed red meat. I know there are tons of studies that show eating lots of red meat and processed meat can cause a variety of health issues. But what about grass-fed, grass-finished beef? Are there the same increased health risks from eating that too? I feel good doing what I'm doing, but I would change it if it meant that I was harming my body. What do you think about this topic? I'd love to hear your thoughts because I really value your input. Sending positive vibes your way, Rebecca. All right, Rebecca. Well, this was a... Fantastic question. And I'm so happy that you're enjoying ButcherBox. And I promise I did not plan this. ButcherBox is actually a sponsor on this episode. And I just checked the offer they have right now is for grass-fed, grass-finished steaks for free. 
So that's perfect. So if you want those, if you want to join Rebecca, listen to the ad in this episode for ButcherBox. The link is butcherbox.com slash ifpodcast. And that will give you the offer right now is free New York strip steaks for a year, which they've never actually done that before. So that's, that's huge. And those are grass-fed, grass-finished. But again, details are in the ad that runs on this show. So for your question, I have so many thoughts. I think about this so much. I knew that you would. First of all, I will just put out there, I do think it is very important when you are contemplating a topic, especially related to health, to take in all different perspectives on the topic. It's very easy to get into an echo chamber. That said, I think one of the issues that can make this convoluted and confusing for people is that the two sides to approach on this, if we if we want to look at like warring sides, it would be the pro-meat and then it would be like the anti-meat. And one of the issues is I think there is, especially in a lot of the vegan literature or vegan voices, there's like a morality clause that comes in where I think sometimes things get lost in the the practical science, the health implications that I think often lead to more of a bias. So I think that's really important to keep in mind when you are reading all the different perspectives, because I do think you should read all the different perspectives. All of that said, the best source of information I have found that I do not believe is biased, that I think has been so helpful, is Rob Wolf's book, Sacred Cow. I'll put a link to it in the show notes. We recently had Rob on this show, but that was an episode all on electrolytes. I'll put a link to it anyways, but we didn't talk about this. But I've had him on the the biohacking, Melanie Avalon biohacking podcast twice. Actually, his second episode with me aired yesterday. But my first episode I did with him was all about this. So I'll put a link to that as well. And what I really like about his book and what I learned in it is he talks about the health benefits and the huge importance of the role of meat in our diets for health. I do think some people can thrive on a vegan diet. I think it's a very small percentage of people. I think it's the people who have the gut microbiome that can really handle that and can really create all the nutrition that they need. I think most people's gut microbiomes aren't up to par for that. And I don't know that dietary choices alone, given your state, can like convert you to a microbiome that would long-term subsist on that. So basically, I do think nutrition-wise that there is a huge important role for meat in most people's diets. When it comes down to the actual type of meat, so red meat versus fish versus chicken, Rob actually talks about this in his book. Like, the environmental impacts. And I know she wasn't really asking about the environmental impacts, but he does talk about the environmental impacts of these different animals and kind of dismantles some of the myths surrounding that about what is actually more sustainable. I do a lot of research on the different meats and how they affect our body. I do think though, Rebecca, what your intuition about gravitating to what you are craving or what speaks to you is probably really telling. And I think especially if you're not following, because I think when when we follow a processed diet or a standard American diet, it can be harder to discern what our bodies actually need. But when you follow a more whole foods-based diet, that it can be easier to really hear your body signals about which protein source 
your body needs at that time. I think especially with red meat, it's something where people might need more of it at some times rather than other times. You know, especially women, they might be craving it because of the iron content and women often can become anemic. I mean, men can too, but it's more common with women. If you're feeling good on the red meat and you're not craving chicken or fish, I wouldn't stress about it. Like I wouldn't try to convince yourself into eating not red meat and chicken and fish because you think that's what you quote should be eating, especially if you're eating, you know, this grass fed, grass finished, sustainably raised from butcher box that one of the things about butcher box that's so amazing is they work really hard to support the the sustainability and the health of the farmers, of the farming system, of our planet. Like it's just really, really wonderful what they're doing. All of that said, to make things a little bit more complicated, I personally believe there is an incredible benefit nutrition-wise to grass-fed, grass-finished over conventional beef. That said, Rob Wolf makes the case in Sacred Cow that there's not much difference at all. Like (laughs) that the nutrition is actually pretty similar and that there's not a huge difference there. I do wonder a lot about the role of toxins in conventional agriculture. I think that might be playing a big role. A hundred percent. I agree with you. I'm really hesitant about that aspect of it. He doesn't seem to think it's that big of a deal in the book, but I think it probably is. So my takeaway is that like the best of the best is obviously the grass-fed, grass-finished beef. I think it's giving you nutrition and I would not succumb to the pressure to think that you don't have to eat it or that you need to eat white meat instead. That's so interesting that he says that because like I just read the part of the book for Cleanish where I talk about grass-fed, grass-finished beef and why it matters. Like I just read it like yesterday, I think. I mean, cows are not supposed to have grain. Their bodies are not designed to digest it. It makes them unhealthy. Then they have to have all that medicine because they're now sick from eating the grain. I mean, it, there's no part of that that is is good. I mean, except that the, the beef tastes great. I mean, it's like fattier, and but it, it's huge. I mean, I can't understand how he looked into all that and came to the conclusion that it didn't matter. I don't think it was so much that it 100% didn't matter, but it was like in the grand scheme of things, like just from a pure nutrition standpoint, that there wasn't that much of a difference. And I'd have to reread. Well, it does have a better, I think a more favorable omega profile. And that's something I've been saying historically, and I say it in my book and I believe it. His thoughts on it are that it's not that big of a difference. Like if you're looking at it for omegas, like it's not a huge difference. It's not a huge source comparatively to something like the fish side of things. I guess the real issue really, really is that because the cows are sick, because they're not fed in a way that their bodies are meant to be eating, you know, they're eating the grains, which their stomach is not designed to process, you know, those grains. So they have to have all the medication, the antibiotics, and then that residue is in the meat. That's what I'm very concerned about. Yeah. I mean, it's huge. That is a huge factor. I mean, do we want you know, to get antibiotic residues from our, from our, you know, meat? No. I personally think it's huge. I do too. And I'm, <laughs> and, and it, I've really come across to this thinking. Like I didn't used to think it mattered as much till I really looked into it. Like the more I looked into it, the more I realized it mattered. Yeah. I asked him about this. I, I'm going to have to revisit the transcript and see what his response was to that specifically. I mean, that's why I just really, really love something like ButcherBox, for example, because they're really addressing this issue. And also I think 
like, because a lot of the demonization of meat is about things like saturated fat and and stuff like that. And I just want to put out there, because I'm haunted by the saturated fat question, actually. And I do think a huge part of the studies and the literature on saturated fat and its health benefits are two things. One, it's looking at saturated fat as an isolated mechanism of action rather than in the context of like an entire diet. So like how does saturated fatty acids on a cell, you know, affect insulin sensitivity or how does fatty acid levels in the bloodstream affect things? And then saying that's automatically the same as like the saturated fat that you eat. There's also the whole history of why saturated fat became demonized for heart disease and things like that. And it goes back to Ansel Keys and there's a lot of controversy around his research and was there cherry picking. And I I think there's a lot of debate. I do think there are probably issues for a lot of people with saturated fat, especially too much saturated fat, especially today's diet. Oh, that was it. Today's diet. I think saturated fat in the context of a processed diet or a high carb diet or our modern diet is a problem. But in like a holistic whole foods-based diet, I I think it's much less of a problem if it even is a problem. So I said a lot, Jen. You did say a lot. I was just going to say, you know, Rebecca, trust yourself. I have also gravitated really away from chicken because I just have realized I don't love it or crave it or really want it. But beef... You know, when I want to eat beef, I really am. Now I'm like craving it right now. Like I'm pretty sure there's going to be beef in my day today. (laughs) And just after, you know, I'm like, ooh, I just really need some beef. So listen to your body. You know, you're getting in tune with with your body and how you feel when you eat certain foods. And I think your body is boss. A lot of this goes back to a study that was sensationalized in the media about the WHO's carcinogenic classification of various meats and red meat and processed meat. If you look at actually what was found in the study and the risk factors, it was grossly misinterpreted by the media. Because like the headlines were things like, red meat is the same as smoking every day or something like that. (laughs) Yeah, I remember those. Yeah. And it's just, that's not what it found at all. Like processed meat was a problem. Red meat was like, I, I have to look at it again. It was a higher level than the other meats, but when you looked at like the the actual meaning of interpreting the stats and the data, it was not at all what it was made out to be. So that is something to keep in mind. I think pretty sure Rob talks about that in Sacred Cow. Pretty sure Gary talks about it in Case for Keto. I'll put links to all of that, but that was a lot. <laughs> all right. We have a question from Phoebe. The subject is clean beauty brands. And she says, hi, both. I have been listening to your podcast since March of 2020 at the beginning of lockdown, and I feel I have learned so much over the past year and a half. I love the word learnt. It's very British. Do we say learned? We say learned. Learned. They say learnt. She said, I have a question on clean beauty. Having heard both of your rave reviews about Beauty Counter, I am desperate to use their products. However, I am based in London, England, and they don't have any stockists here nor do they ship internationally. I know you've said that Europe has stricter rules on banning chemicals, but a lot of the brands I have seen on sale in Whole Foods and similar health stores have compounds in them that are ranked poorly in the EWG Healthy Living app. 
Could you please recommend any comparable internationally available brands for beauty products and makeup? Thank you in advance for all you do. I look forward to your podcasts every week. Kind regards, Phoebe. All right, Phoebe. So this is a great question. So I will put a resource out for you. You can join my Clean Beauty and Safe Skincare Facebook group. That would be a great place to talk about this because we have a lot of members now. I think we have almost 2,000 members. People share a lot of reviews and thoughts, and there are a lot of international people. So that would be a great place to discuss it there because I'm not personally familiar with any brands that are up to beauty counter standards. It sounds like this is what you're doing already. You're looking things up on the EWG, but that would be the resource to use for sure. So for listeners, the EWG, they basically look at all of the ingredients and products and they rank them for toxicity. So you can see you know, how potentially toxic are your products on the shelves. The thing that is so amazing about beauty counter, for example, is... So like you can look at the toxicity, so that's one thing. But then beyond that, there are things like heavy metals, for example, and that's huge, huge, huge to me. And that's not going to be something that's going to be on the EWG. So like lipstick, for example, there's this one study that they did. I think it was in the, uh, I don't know how long ago it was, um, a few years ago, but they looked at so many makeup brands. It was like a hundred something. And every single one had lead in it. And most of them had like really high levels. And that's something that you're not even going to see on the EWG. So an amazing thing about Beauty Counter is they test everything six times for heavy metals. So that's huge. I don't know if there are any international brands that do that as well. But your best bet, I guess, would be continuing to look on the EWG and trying to find things that are that are rated green. I'm, I'm sorry, though, that Beauty Counter is not available internationally. I'm hoping someday that they will. Right now, it's just the US and Canada. I feel like I was not very helpful. But yeah, my resources are to keep looking on the EWG and to join my Facebook group and ask there. Yeah, I think that's great. Yeah, the EWG Healthy Living app is a great resource, but I, I don't know about clean beauty brands in Europe either or England. It is true, though, about the higher standards. So that also just speaks to the the sad state of the US with all of this. So because Europe has banned thousands of compounds in, in conventional skincare makeup because they can be endocrine disruptors, meaning they mess with your hormones or obesogens, which actually literally cause your body to store and gain weight and even, and even carcinogens, which are linked to cancer. And the US has only banned around a dozen, <laughs> which is just really shocking. And then on top of that, there's essentially no regulation. So even if there were products on the shelves that were found to be actually toxic. And this has happened. It happened, I don't remember when, but there was this whole thing where there were these products at Claire's that were found to be tainted with, I think it was asbestos, tainted with something, and nothing was done about it. <laughs> like, like there's really no regulation. It's really shocking. So, but yes, Europe does have stricter standards. So that is nice because that will be a little bit on your side. Yep. And all this is also in Cleanish, which is available for pre-order. So <laughs> if you haven't pre-ordered it yet, go ahead and pre-order it wherever books are sold. But yeah, I talk all about clean beauty and why it's so important and about grass-fed, grass-finished beef and all the things. So I can't wait for you to get a copy of the book, Melanie. Oh, I know. Do I get one soon? Yeah, we got to get you on the list. We got to get you. Yep, yep. Got to get you a copy. I would like you to get a better copy, though. Right now, they're sending out the early reader copies, and it's the ones with the typos and stuff. 
Oh, okay. So can you wait till actual, the real book comes out? Or do you want an early reader copy? I could get you an early reader copy now. Not till February, right? I think so. Yeah, you got time. Can I get it by January? I mean, January 4th is when it comes out. Oh, okay. Perfect. Yeah. Yay. Anyway, all this is in there and why it matters and, you know, how you can develop your own definition of cleanish so that you change up what feels right to you. Exactly. I feel like we've come so far. We're on similar wavelengths about all the things. Well, it's true. And, you know, the more you learn about it and the better you feel, you know, the more changes you make, you realize it matters. The more I study hormones, I've been interviewing a lot of hormone doctors recently. Those are just signals affecting everything in our body and the factors that affect them. It's our environment and our lifestyle. I mean, it's our food, obviously, but and you can help them with fasting. But when you're exposing your body to compounds every day that are messing with your hormones, I think, just think the effects are just so not appreciated. The part that was so striking to me is how different the world is now than it was you know, 20, 30, 40, 50 years ago because basically our body burdens are just so much greater. You know, we didn't have all this you know, decades ago. And so we're starting off with with a worse, you know, like babies are born with all these chemicals in their cord blood. Yeah. Like ladies, if you're going to have children someday, when you give birth, a huge part of your toxic burden goes into the baby. So I was actually listening to an interview this week, and they were talking about how one of the problems with these compounds is that... The problem is actually that they're not so toxic that they outright cause cancer right away. If they did, they wouldn't be there. But they're not so toxic that they like kill your cell like right away. But it's that slow accumulating damage. Right. They bioaccumulate and they also work together in ways that are unexpected and not even understood because they don't study these chemicals Together, they studied like a little bit in isolation, like if you just had this and oh, it's fine, but that's not the real world. That's not your body. It it ends up being a toxic soup. Yeah. So like cancer causing compounds, they're not things that are so toxic that they just kill a cell because if that was the case, you wouldn't get the cancer because in a way they would get rid of themselves because they would just, you know, kill whatever they're killing and be gone. But it's like the fact that our cells can still survive in their presence. It's like a slow draining. Um, it forces our cells to adapt. That's what, when I interviewed Dr. Jason Fung, he was saying, that's what makes carcinogens carcinogens is that they, they damage the cells just enough that the cells have to kind of go rogue and form their own metabolism, their own state. They get very selfish in a way. So in order to survive, in, in the face of these carcinogens, they have to just basically defy living in a happy relationship with the rest of your body cells. And that's basically what cancer is. That was like such a mind blow moment for me. Wow. Yeah. But anyway, we put less in. So clean beauty, you're putting less in, you're lowering your toxic load. And that is why it matters. You know, you don't have to freak out because you're going to go through life and get exposed to things, but you can control a lot of things. And just taking control of what you can and letting go of what you can't. Yes. I love that. Yep. All right. Well, this has been absolutely wonderful. So a few things for listeners before we go. You can follow me on Instagram. I have a blue check. I do not. But you will probably soon, I'm assuming. I don't know. I'm not even trying. (laughs) 
Well, in any case, we're both on Instagram. I'm Melanie Avalon, Jen is Jen Stevens. If you'd like to submit your own questions for this show, you can directly email questions at ifpodcast.com or you can go to ifpodcast.com and you can submit questions there. These show notes for today's show, super helpful because we mentioned so many things. Those will be at ifpodcast.com slash episode 241. <sighs> yeah, you can get all the stuff that we like at ifpodcast.com slash stuff we like. All right. I think that is all of the things. Absolutely. Anything from you, Jen, before we go? No, I think that was it. All right. Well, this has been wonderful and I will talk to you next week. All right. Bye-bye. Bye. Thank you so much for listening to the Intermittent Fasting Podcast. Please remember that everything discussed on the show is not medical advice. We're not doctors. You can also check out our other podcasts, Intermittent Fasting Stories and the Melanie Avalon Biohacking Podcast. Theme music was composed by Leland Cox. See you next week.